Praise the Lord. Amen. So good to see you all this morning. Amen. It's a beautiful morning today. Praise God. We have a lot to look forward to. Jesus is here. And where He is, anything can happen. Praise God. Let's all stand. I look forward to entering into the presence of God with each of you this morning. Amen. Let's all lift our hearts, our hands, our voices to the Lord our God. Let's bless Him. Let's worship and praise Him. Let's ask His blessing on His service here today, that His perfect will would be accomplished. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. You're a mighty King. You're a glorious Savior. Thank You, Jesus, for Your manifest presence here today. Thank You, Jesus, for this opportunity You've given us this morning to enter into the presence of Almighty God, the very throne room of our Creator, our Savior, our Redeemer this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. I will bless You. I will worship and praise You. I will laud and magnify You. Thank You, Jesus, for Your presence in this place today. Thank You, Lord, for the opportunity to hear Your voice and to feel Your touch and to spend time in Your presence. Lord Jesus, this is Your service. We are Your people, submitted wholly and completely to You to accomplish all of Your heart's desire in this place today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let Your Word go forth according to Your perfect will. Your perfect will. Hallelujah, Jesus, that You would speak, that You would minister in this place today. Help us to receive the Word of the Lord today, to be doers and not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. Help us, Lord Jesus to give glory and honor unto the Most High God for all that You're going to accomplish here today. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship, we worship You. We worship the Lord our God today. You are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of all praise. You're worthy to receive all glory and all honor. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. I delight myself in the Lord my God today, and I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Hallelujah, Jesus. We have everything to celebrate this morning. We have everything to celebrate today. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus, for Your so great faithfulness to us. Praise God. Praise God. Amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you. You can be seated. Praise God. What an awesome God we serve. God never gets old to me. A lot of things can. You know, I used to love, in some ways, I used to love starting a new job because I'd be learning something. I'd be, I'd be figuring stuff out. And that was new and it was exciting for about a year. And about that time, everything was learned. Everything was starting to become old hat. And now this is starting to get boring. <clears throat> some people, Brother Demuth and I were talking about this, some people love that kind of work. You know, this is what I do. This is what I did yesterday. This is what I'm going to do tomorrow. I like that consistency. I like that structure. Uh, uh, that was never my thing. I, I, I like learning. I like growing. Amen. So when I come into the presence of God, He's infinite. He's an infinite God. And there is no exhausting the heights and the depths of the knowledge of God. And for me, that is absolutely perfect. 
I will never, ever in a thousand years learn everything there is to know about Scripture or about the God that I serve. That fascinates me. That's awesome to me. I love that. I love that. I can read a Scripture a thousand times, and the thousand and one time, something pops. And God speaks to me in that Scripture. I love that. We serve an awesome God. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says this. Familiar passage to most of us this morning. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're going to be talking today on this topic, doing versus being. And as you can tell, I put a lot of thought into that title. It's an amazing title. Doing versus being. In our scripture text, we find two different states, not of doing, but of being. That's what we see in this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And in our culture today, we have, uh, we have a, a, a fixation. I think a lot of it good, but some not so good on this idea of doing. Uh, you know, there was a, a guy a while ago, I think he was a comedian, and his, his catchphrase was, get her done. Who's heard of that? Yeah, most of us have. Get her done. And we know what that means. We need to knuckle down and, 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 and push through and, and accomplish and, and strive and, and, and obtain. And again, a lot of that is good. I mean, we do need to accomplish things. We do need to do things. Uh, that's, that's all good and well. But I think we do ourselves a disservice when we focus exclusively on the doing. Nike's phrase is what? Just do it. Yeah, we all know that. People will say things like, I get more done by five in the morning than, than most people do all day. Yeah. And maybe for some of that's true. <laughs> some people do get an awful lot done by five in the morning. But, again, focusing exclusively on the doing is not good. Rather, we should focus on being. We should focus on who we are as a person, as a Christian. In our Scripture text, we find two states of being. The first is confirmation to the world. Someone who is at variance with a holy and a righteous God. Someone who is, whose very nature is contrary to God's law. That's one state of being. And within this group, we could lump a lot of people who claim to be Christians. We could. And the reason I say that is this. When you present Scripture to someone, when you present uh, the idea that uh, an opinion you might have is contrary to Scripture, there are Christians who are pro-abortion. There are Christians who claim to believe in Scripture, claim to believe and serve God, who have no problem and in fact promote a homosexual lifestyle. Why is that? What they're saying is not necessarily what they're doing. There's, there's a contradiction here. And so, uh, 
when my state of being is contrary to the law of God, I am conformed to this world. When I'm looking to the world for approval, when I'm looking to the world as a standard of right and wrong, uh, that's not good. I am conformed to the world. The other state of being we find in the Scripture is transformation by the renewing of our minds. This I would describe as someone who is in harmony with a holy and a righteous God. Someone whose very nature now lines up with God's law. And that is a born-again Christian. Before I came to the Lord, I was walking contrary to Scripture, contrary to a holy and a righteous God. But God transformed me. He renewed me. He made in me a new creature. One who conforms to the authority of God now. Matthew 12 and 34 says something very very interesting on this topic. This is Jesus speaking. He says, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. Now, for a little while, I can be nice. I can be the most wretched man on planet Earth. But I can force myself to be nice when it serves my interests. But eventually, my nature is going to win out, isn't it? Eventually, what's in here is going to come out here. It's going to come out in my decisions, in my actions. I can't help myself. It's who I am. Conversely, when I'm a Christian, a born-again Christian, whose nature has been renewed, transformed, what is in here ought to be coming out of here. I shouldn't be able to help myself. It's who I am. And that's an interesting point to make. When we focus on doing, And I'll just come right out and say it. We need to teach Bible studies. We need to be witnessing to our neighbors and friends. Is that true? Absolutely it's true. We do need to be doing these things. We do need to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if it's not in here, folks, it needs to be in here. It's kind of like holiness. I can dress holy. And inside, I can be dead men's bones in all uncleanness. What does it matter if I'm dressed from head to toe perfectly? If there's nothing in here? I can't get to heaven by putting sackcloth on my body. I can get to heaven by having holiness inside here. When I am holy, that's going to be reflected in what I do. So my point is this, rather than focusing on the doing, let's rather focus on becoming. Let's focus on who we are in God. And let's let the doing take care of itself. Because when I am a Christian, when I am Christ-like, I'm going to do what Jesus did by default. I'm not going to be able to help myself. That's who I am. That's just what I do. When I gotta force myself to do something contrary to my nature, that's not gonna last, folks. 
and it's not going to be very effective. It's because of who I am that good things or evil things come out of my mouth. We're going to produce fruit based on who we are. That's how it works. The fruit is produced based on who I am. If I'm an apple tree, I'm just going to produce apples. It's just going to happen. Doing involves taking action. We're driven. We're goal-oriented. It shifts our focus from us to our surroundings, to other people, to other situations. It's outward-looking in that my goals and accomplishments are external, quantifiable, there for all to see. And again, please don't get me wrong. We do need to accomplish. We do need to do. There are things that need to happen. But in the Western world, doing gets a lot more attention than being. What we do is focused on more than who we are. It's important for us to stay busy, to be on our way to somewhere, and to always know where we're going. Do, 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 do. Accomplish, accomplish. But we're not human doings, folks. We're human beings. The problem with focusing on doing to the exclusion of everything else is one that I've already stated. It's forced, it's external, and it, it's not going to last. The other thing is, I can be the most productive person you know and be an absolute jerk. I don't need to be a moral person to be productive, to be effective, at least in the world. At my business, at my workplace... I've worked with these kinds of people. I'm sure you have. They know how to get things done. And they'll do it by any means necessary. They'll cheat. They'll lie. They'll steal. They'll cut corners. They'll do what they need to do to meet the goals. To get things done. And the most productive of those, at least in my experience, most people will generally overlook a lot of their character flaws because they're bringing money into the corporation. They're profitable. So we can overlook those things. When, uh, when everything on, on Wall Street is riding high, nobody cares about the, the moral bankruptcy of the investment bankers or uh, the Wall Street gurus. Nobody really cares. I'm making money. But, when it's a bearish market, when there's a downturn and my 401k is losing money and these reports start coming out, now I'm interested. Why is that? Why don't I care before? Why don't I care about the, the, the ethics and the, the moral character of who's managing my money when I'm making money? Because who cares? I'm making money. I'm only going to care about that when I'm losing. <clears throat> there was a time in our history where people used to care more about who I was as a person and not so much about what I did. Who I, who I was versus what do you do for a job. Back before the Industrial Age, uh, we were in 
agrarian society, agricultural, and for the most part, I don't remember the specific statistic, but it was like 90-some percent of people grew up on farms, small towns. And I grew up in a town. I knew everybody else I was growing up with. I knew the parents of everyone that I grew up with, and everyone knew me. I couldn't fake it. People knew who I was. If I started acting differently, they'd be, what's going on, man? What? That's not you. Because people know me. People know who I am. My character. That was important. People would have reputations. If I went into a business dealing with Bishop Parker, Bishop Parker has this reputation. He's a man of his word. So I can shake hands with the man and that's good enough. Because of that reputation. Everyone knows. He's good for his word. If I have a a negative reputation, people know that too. He's going to try to cheat you. And no one's going to deal with you. Not because of what I'm doing, but because of who I am. And of course, what I did is a reflection of who I am. That used to be the case, but when we became more industrialized and and a lot of people were starting to move off the farms into the big city to get a factory job, they were dealing with people that they'd never met before. I don't know your character. You don't know my character. So how are we going to do this? Well, that's uh, that's where Dale Carnegie comes in, how to win friends and influence people. And uh, how to make a good first impression. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, those are good things to do. You want to make a good first impression for sure. But when you don't know someone's character, you don't know someone, you just met the guy. You sit down to an interview with someone and all you have is a piece of paper and that's supposed to be a reflection of who this person is. And vice versa. You sit down to a job interview. Someone's going to interview you. They're looking at your resume. I don't know that person. How is it going to be working for this company? How is it going to be working for you? I have no idea who you are. And so we try to get a feel based on what they say, based on what they're doing. And so that becomes important now. And eventually that became the focus. What I do becomes more important now than who I am. People's goals in life used to be less about doing and more about becoming. Becoming something. Becoming someone better. Uh, uh, my desire in life is, is, is to become a good citizen. Uh, to become a good Christian. To become a good husband. To become a good father. Now more and more it's, well, I want to get a good paying job. I want to make money. I want to be successful. When did doing become more important to us than being? Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says this, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now we understand intellectually that Every individual that comes to the Lord needs to be discipled. 
We know that. We know that everybody needs to be discipled. I got a question for you. How many of us feel like when we came to the Lord, we were adequately and properly discipled? I see one hand. Any more? Two hands. Three. Okay? How about the rest of us? I was discipled. I don't know if I was adequately discipled. That's probably a discussion for another time, but I was discipled. At least the effort was made. Most people are not. Most people, when they come into church, they get the Holy Ghost, they're baptized in Jesus' name. Fantastic. Praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord, sister. you got a great life ahead of you. And then you're on your own. And good luck. We know that's not proper. It's synonymous... It's synonymous to turning the house of God into an abortion clinic. You birth a baby and then just let him sit there and die. That's really how I see it, folks. You birth babies and then you just leave them on the pew to die. Starve to death. They don't know anything from Adam. They don't know what any of this is. They just started coming here. Yeah, they'll figure it out. And some people do. Thank God. Some people do. Most don't. Most don't. Is discipleship focused on doing? Or is it focused on being? Becoming? Now the person doing the teaching, they're doing. I'll grant you that. But the person who is being discipled, they're being, they're becoming, they're growing, they're transforming. They're becoming someone better. They're becoming more what? What are they becoming? They're becoming Christ-like. That's right. That's His ultimate goal for all of us, is to become like Him, to reflect His character, to reflect who He is. And we can't do that externally. I promise you that. You can't force yourself to act Christ-like. God can help you become Christ-like. And then the actions take care of themselves. So discipleship is focused on being, becoming. So why are we always pushing the doing? I don't see an emphasis on doing here in the Great Commission. We're doing, but those that are coming to the Lord are becoming. Teach, baptize, disciple. You and I are the ones doing. The disciple is the one that's becoming. Becoming Christ-like. 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18 says this, Now the Lord is that Spirit, And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. 
So we understand first and foremost that this is a spiritual process. We need God to become Christ-like. We need the Spirit to transform us day by day into His glorious image. But that's His plan for us. Church growth. Church growth. We always focus on the externals, on the numbers. And again, we need to focus on that to a point because numbers are souls. Jesus died for those souls. They need to hear the Gospel. They need to receive the Gospel. Absolutely. No arguments from me. But when we're reaching them, when we're reaching them, folks, why, is, why are we reaching them? Why are we trying to reach out to them? Because we've got a Sunday school drive going on and, and we've got to meet these numbers. <clears throat> I'm not preaching against any methods or, or programs or anything like that. But church growth isn't just about numbers. Church growth is also right here. Spiritual growth. At a recent SOAR conference the ministers had, our bishop, uh, Brother Parker, he said he was speaking with Brother Lee Stone King. And Brother Lee Stone King asked him a question. As a pastor, what would you rather have? I don't remember the specific numbers, so I'll just fill them in. A thousand, would you rather have a thousand people in your church and none of them are ready for heaven? Or ten people in your church and all of them are ready for heaven? What would you rather have? And who's the, who's the greater success? We know the answer to that. But we don't always live like that's the right answer. We're focused on the numbers. That, that thousand man church, that pastor is a successful pastor. The evangelist who, who has meetings lined up, that's the successful evangelist. But how many people are coming to his services? How many people are getting the Holy Ghost in his messages? How many people are entering the kingdom of God because of his ministry? The evangelist that has one service a year and ten people get the Holy Ghost and enter the kingdom of God, I'd say more successful than he's preaching every Sunday and five people get the Holy Ghost. But they have great service. They have great church. There are things that maybe need to be rethought a little bit. It might be that God wants His church to grow first before He brings the numbers. Is that a possibility? Absolutely it is. And if we will grow as a church, if, we, if I grow as a Christian, if I grow in my faith, if I draw closer to God, if I start becoming more like Him every day, that's going to be reflected in what I do. I'm going to start talking to people because I can't help myself. I'm excited about what's going on. I'm excited about this God that I'm serving. And we talk about what we're excited about. We talk about what we're thinking about, what's on our hearts and minds. 
So maybe God wants us to grow before the church starts to grow. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things, everything, all things are become new. When we come to the Lord, church, we're baptized in Jesus' name, we're filled with the Holy Ghost, we become an entirely new species. I've heard people stand up and say, who claim to be saved, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I disagree with that. I'm not a sinner anymore. I was the sinner. But now I'm a child of God. I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm not bound by sin. I'm not controlled by sin anymore. I have authority over sin. I have authority over my old nature. Praise God. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner who was saved by grace. I'm saved by grace every day. But I'm a child of God. And that would have been nice for me to know when I got the Holy Ghost. I struggled with that for a very long time. An inordinate amount of time. If I would have understood that. If someone would have told me. And I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not... I'm just, I'm just saying, moving forward, these are things that people ought to know. When I get up off of an altar and I'm wiping everything off of my face, it'd be nice to know you're a new creature now. What you were when you came into this building, he's dead, he's gone. You're a new creature now. That's exciting. You've got a brand new life ahead of you. How awesome is that? Struggling with guilt over, over things that you said and, and did and, and uh, mistakes that you made in the past. You don't have to do that. You can let that go. It's gone. It's under the blood. Learn from it. Sure. Don't do it again. But it's gone. It's dead. God doesn't remember those things. And you shouldn't now either. Move forward. Move forward in this new life that God has, has provided. That'd be nice to know so that I'm not dealing with all of those things, thinking that I need to. We have different passions. We have different outlooks on life, different ways of thinking about things. We're brand new creatures. I have a transformed mind, a renewed mind. I think differently about life, about things. I view people differently. I see through scriptural glasses now. Like Jesus sees. I'm starting to see what Jesus sees now. Now I want to please God, where before I had no desire at all to please God. That's part of my nature now. Now, rather than Scripture, Scripture is so boring. Scripture is so hard to understand. Now I have a desire to read that. Maybe I'm not the best reader, but I have a desire to read the Word of God because that's in my heart now. So I'm going to apply myself to do that. I may have to work a little bit harder. I may have to do a, a few extra steps along the way to get to the place where I can read Scripture. 
Okay, I got the rest of my life to do that. So what? You know, people say, people say, well, you know, that's going to take that's going to take a long time to to be able to to do that. Well, you know, in five, ten years, you're going to be somewhere anyway. You may as well start now and be here versus here in ten years. Why not do that? I see nothing wrong with that plan. You know, there was a uh, <laughs> uh, the situation that uh, I saw a while back. The, the situation was, it, it was a movie I saw. Um, but anyway, uh, these two guys were in prison, okay? And um, one guy one guy was going to teach another guy how to read. This was in the 1600s, 1700s. He was going to teach him how to read, how to uh, teach him economics and, and, and all of this stuff. Because he, he had no education. He's like, well, that's going to take forever. And he's like, do you have something more pressing with your time? <laughs> you're in prison. <laughs> yeah, you're not going anywhere. You're going to be here in five, ten years regardless. So why not apply yourself to learning? Why not apply yourself to the Word of God? It might be difficult for you at first. I'm not, I'm not disparaging that. You might not be the best reader. You might not be the best studier or the best memorizer. But we can learn how to be a good studier. We can learn how to be a good reader. If it's in here. If we have the desire to do so. We can become whoever we want to become in Jesus Christ. I promise you, if you apply yourself to learning the Word of God, God will help you do that. God is your biggest fan in that area. He wants you to know His Word. He wants you to know His will. He wants you to know Him. He'll help you in any way that you need to be helped so that you can do that. Because it's His will. It's His desire for us all to do that. Our appetites are different. We understand our old nature is still here. It's still present. We still have a, we have a fight now that needs to be waged, a battle that needs to be won every single day against our old nature. That's something else that needs to be understood. You know, when I got up off the altar, I felt so clean and so new. And I felt like I just, I loved everybody. And I truly believed at the moment that it doesn't matter what anyone says to me at this point, I'm just going to love them. But, you know, that, that feeling went away eventually. And I started having to deal with my old nature again. And that surprised me. That uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't aware that that was going to take place. Again, that's something that would have been nice to know. I don't have to fear it. I have authority over it. Not, nothing wrong with the fight, the battle. Jesus gives me victory and we move on. No harm, no foul. But I wasn't aware of that. And a lot of people aren't aware of that. And so when that happens, they feel guilt and condemnation and they leave church. 
Five minutes of counsel right afterward. This is going to happen. This is what you need to do. Here's some tools. Here's a phone number. Uh, give me a call when it happens. We can walk you through it. We'll pray for you. Fantastic. Okay. This is something I can expect at some point. But we have authority over that. It's not something we need to fear or worry about. We just need to be aware that it's there. Colossians chapter 1, 9 and 10 says this, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. 2 Peter 3 and 18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And 1 Peter 2 and 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. So to grow, we need food. That's knowledge. That's the Word of God. Knowledge comes first. Knowledge through the Word of God. We need to study Scripture. We need to apply Scripture to our lives. We need to eat it. We need to drink it. We need to fill ourselves with it. The Word of God. We mix our new desire to serve God with our newfound knowledge and we begin to act on that knowledge as I demonstrate my faith in God's Word. And as I do that, I become something different. Someone different. I grow. I become more like Jesus Christ. As I become more like Jesus, I now become more spiritually productive. And this time, it's not forced. It's not something that uh, I need a, a, a really red-hot, fiery Pentecostal service to get motivated and excited enough to do something for Jesus Christ. I know I've asked you this before. Whoever here has been to an Amway meeting? Okay, yeah. They know how to put on a meeting. They get excited. It's, 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 there's a lot of energy there at the meeting. But, for me anyway, it kind of stayed there in the building. I was really excited there in, in the building. And then when my wife and I went home, I started thinking about what I'd have to do. And I wasn't so excited anymore. Because that, that just wasn't who I was. I can get out of a red-hot Pentecostal service and get really excited about doing something for Jesus Christ. And I have. I've been excited. And I've made commitments at the altar. So have you. And I get out the door and I start thinking about, oh, well, what am I going to say? What if, what if they ask me a question I don't know? I know I'm the only one that's ever worried about that stuff. And then I, it starts to fizzle out. Because again, that wasn't who I was. We can't force people to be something other than who they are. Let's worry about who someone is. It's Jesus' perfect will for them to be transformed, to become Christ-like to become an accurate reflection of who He is in this world. 
That's His perfect will. And then as I become more like Jesus, that starts to be reflected in what I do. I don't need a red-hot, fiery service. I don't need some, someone to stand up here and, and yell and shout and spit and scream every single service for me to, to have enough motivation to do something for Jesus. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it no matter who's up here because that's who I am now. That's what I do. And I can't help it. It's a natural consequence of who I've become. And as we walk in the light He gives us, He gives more light. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says this, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Amen. We're born, we're rooted, we're planted, and we begin to grow and build and strengthen and become in Jesus Christ as we have been taught. Again, it comes back to the Word of God, knowing Scripture, applying it, listening to the preaching of the Word, receiving from the Lord, and applying that to our lives. I would rather people have a regular study plan and apply all of it. But if I had to choose between one or the other, I would rather someone just read one Scripture verse a week and really applied it to their lives versus read ten chapters a day and do absolutely nothing with it. Now, if you can read ten chapters a day and apply it, that'd be great. But we need to apply it. We need to do it. It doesn't matter what we know. That's got to get inside and it's got to transform me and it's got to change me so that my desire is to do that, to apply it to my life. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 says this, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection or completion, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Okay, so as we are discipled and as we disciple others, we need to realize that they're not going to stay there. They're not supposed to stay there. We're supposed to continue to move forward, continue to grow. Where I am today ought not be where I am next week, next month, next year. I need to keep moving forward in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if this is my first week in church or my 50th year in church. It doesn't matter. I need to keep moving forward. Because again, we serve an infinite God. He's infinite. There's always something more to know. There's always somewhere else to grow into. I can always move forward in Jesus Christ. And that's what, exactly what we need to be doing. We need to be moving forward from birth to maturity, to completion. We are not to stay where we're at, but we should always be growing, learning, becoming every single day. Psalm 92, 12-14 says this, The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. That sounds pretty amazing. That sounds uh, 
That sounds like abundance to me. Flourish, 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 grow. Bring forth fruit. God promise, His promise to us is that we will flourish. We will grow and prosper wherever He plants us. Whenever He plants us. It doesn't matter if this is my very first service. I told you before, when I first got in church, I was so worried. Jesus is coming back next week, and, and I'm just getting started in this thing. i got, I got to catch up here. I don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about when we come into this. We just need to start growing from where we, when we were planted. God planted me now. He planted me here. So this is where I need to start growing. And this is when I need to start growing. We're going to remain spiritually productive our entire lives. That's God's promise to me. That's God's promise to you. Our entire lives. That means to me that I only have one way to retire from this. And that's when He calls me home. Until then... I need to be spiritually productive. I need to keep growing and learning. I need, to, I need to keep moving forward in God's plan and will for my life. And if He takes me home tomorrow, fantastic. If I live to be 150, okay. Uh, I need to be productive at 149 in 10 months. Amen. With whatever He's telling me to do, that's what I need to be doing. He knows I'm 149 in 10 months. He knows what I'm able to do and not to do. I don't need to tell him. He knows. If he's telling me to do something, I mean, he's... Folks, if I live to be 149 in 10 months, there's got to be a reason for that. God's got to have a reason for that. (laughs) A little bit. So if I'm still on planet Earth, if I'm still if I'm still using up your guys' oxygen, there's a reason for that. I need to be productive. I need to be doing something for Jesus Christ. And to do that, I need to be something for Jesus Christ. I need to be Christ-like so that I can do what He wants me to do. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I've read this a thousand times. I love this verse. Uh, One thing that popped out to me studying for this message is, you know what? If Paul hadn't apprehended at this point, I'm not 100% sure that I have yet. I'm not quite 100% convinced that I've apprehended. If Paul hadn't apprehended yet. I see in Paul, not just in this verse, but in his entire ministry, a singleness of purpose. He was consumed with one idea. He was consumed with Christ-likeness. He was consumed with doing the will of God. He was consumed with Jesus Christ. Having a relationship with Him. Pleasing Him. Serving Him. In whatever capacity God chose for Him. He was consumed with it. That's what he wrote about. That's what he thought about. That's what he prayed about. That's what he wanted for every child of God. That's what he encouraged the churches to do. 
this one thing I do. I know in our culture we have all kinds of secondary, tertiary uh, situations, concerns. We have hobbies. We have jobs. We have responsibilities, families, uh, kids, grandkids, some of us great-grandkids. God bless you. I'll be there here soon enough. And, uh, I mean, we got things going on. We got responsibilities. And I'm not saying that we need to leave off the responsibilities. Not by any stretch of the imagination. But we need to stay focused on what's most important. We need to stay focused on Jesus Christ. We need to stay focused on the ministry that He's given us. Who am I for Jesus? Who am I becoming for Jesus? Jesus has a plan for my life. And I'm not entirely convinced that it was in the doing that God's plan is fulfilled. But it's in the becoming. When I become like He is. When I start reflecting His character. Not because I'm, I'm, I'm forcing myself. You know, uh, Benjamin Franklin had this, this system he was following. It was a self-improvement program. And he would do one thing. I think it was, if I remember it correctly. Forgive me if I'm, I'm getting this wrong. But he would focus on one thing every month. Uh, industrialness. Uh, organization. You know, uh, temperance. You know, different things like that. He had 12 things that he was focusing on. And he'd focus on one every month. And he'd do that until he was gone. That's not what I'm suggesting. That's an external focus. And he, and he had some success in it. What I'm, what I'm saying is, allow Jesus Christ to, to transform me. To change me. To cause me to become a person that reflects those characteristics. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, goodness, meekness, faith, patience. The fruit of the Spirit. When I'm Christ-like, I can't help but produce a specific kind of fruit. When I'm not Christ-like, the same thing applies. I cannot get clean water out of a corrupt spring. You can't. I can get clean water out of a clean spring. I can get corrupt water out of a corrupt spring. But what's in here is going to come out here every time. My nature will win out every time. So what I need to do is get a different nature. What I need to do is become someone different. I need to become Christ-like. That's the plan. Ephesians 4, 11-16 says this. We've read this before in other messages. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into Him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, 
according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. There's a whole lot of becoming here. A whole lot. This is why we have ministers in the church. And so that the saints can become equipped so that the saints can become what they need to become. They can become Christ-like. They can become like Jesus so that we begin to do what Jesus did. We do that because we are who Jesus is. We reflect His character. We are Christ-like. Amen. Let's all stand. The doing is important, but the doing is only a reflection of who we become. If we become Christ-like, we will do what Christ did. And we won't have to force it. We won't have to guilt anyone. We won't have to keep cheering people on and and motivating people to do what needs to be done. It's just going to happen. The fruit is just going to be produced because that's who we are now. We are Christ-like. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. I am so thankful for You. I am so thankful, Lord, that You have provided us an opportunity not only to save us from our sins, our transgressions, not only to purchase our salvation for us, but that we can become someone better. We can become someone who is a good, accurate reflection of who Jesus is. I can become Christ-like. It is our desire to do so. It is our desire to grow and to learn and to become, Lord Jesus, everything that You desire us to be. I pray, Lord, that You would continue to bless our efforts as small as they may may be to that end. I pray that You'd bless the remainder of Your service here in these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.